The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. To preside over one lockdown party in Downing Street might be seen as misfortune. Two begins to look like carelessness. It's difficult to imagine then what has been going through the mind of the Partygate investigator Sue Gray after an avalanche of allegations surfaced over the previous week. The leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, joined Sophie Rayworth this morning to discuss what seems to be the only story in town. And, having called for Boris Johnson to resign, he was determined to keep up the pressure on the Prime Minister. Did the Prime Minister break the law? I think he broke the law. I think he's as good as admitted that he broke the law. Um, and, after all, Downing Street has now apologised to the Queen for some of the parties that have gone on. And I know that the government's holding position is let's all wait for the Sue Gray report. But I think it's pretty obvious what's happened. There's industrial scale parting that's been going on at Downing Street. Not much of it is really denied. And I think that the public have made up their mind. I think the facts speak for themselves. I think the the Prime Minister broke the law. I think he then lied about what had happened because, and this compounds the situation. When I first challenged the Prime Minister just about six or seven weeks ago in Parliament um, about when the first allegations were coming out, he stood at the dispatch box and said, I've been assured there were no parties. So that was his position. Then what happened was there was the um, Allegra video came out um, back at the dispatch box, so I challenged him again, at which point the Prime Minister said... I'm furious. I've just found out about these parties. I'm furious. And then, of course, last week, um, it emerged that he himself was at the party, or one of the parties in May 2020. And his third defence is, uh, I was there, but I didn't realise it was a party. And there was a little bit of detail he gave in that answer, which is crucially important. He said at the dispatch box, had I appreciated, I would have got everybody back in. So after half an hour, he realised, as he was sort of kicking around the bottles in the Downing Street um, garden, that there was a party. So and he says he should have got people in. How does that fit with his first defence, okay. there were no parties? Well, you're, or talking, second, you're talking about it as a lawyer. second defence, that he was furious. No, but and it, you're it, never done, no, you are talking about it as a lawyer, with your lawyer's hat on as well. And are the police right to wait, then, for Sue Gray's report. But just if, what, if you say he's broken the law, are the police right to wait? What, what's... But are the police I, right to wait? I, I, just let me finish this point, and I'll come straight to that. Um, the public are angry that there were the parties, but they're also angry that he's lied about them, so, so the, the two go together. So are the police right to wait? Well, I think that we... You know, once Sue Gray has come to her findings, so she will set out all the facts, she's very well respected, I think that all of those should be passed to the police to look at. Rayworth brought up a video of Starmer taken before last year's local elections, in which he appeared to be in a similarly compromising position. He is shown with a beer in hand in what is believed to be the constituency office of Mary Kelly Foy, the MP for the city of Durham. Starmer refuted the idea that there was no party like a local Labour party. So what is that photograph that has a lot of people will have seen? It's been on the front pages. It's uh, took, taken last year, end of April, beginning, beginning of May. Just, just explain what that was. Happily, 
I was in a constituency office just days before the election. We were very busy. We were working in the office um, and we stopped for something to eat. And then we carried on working. That is the long, the short of it. No party, no breach of the rules and absolutely no comparison with the Prime Minister. And, but there um, were rules in place. You, this was step two uh, guidelines at the time. No person may participate in a gathering in the step two area which consists of two or more people and takes place indoors unless it's reasonably necessary for work purposes. We were in the office, the constituency office. It was days before the election. We were very busy. We were working. Um, at some point, some food turned up. We stopped. We had our food. And then we carried on working. That is not a breach of the rules. It's not a party. And it is no comparison to the Prime Minister. Drinking the fact a beer, but drinking a beer, is that reasonably necessary for work purposes? We'd, we'd stopped to eat a takeaway whilst we were working in the office. And then we carried on. This was, but, just but to word... put it in context, this was about... Uh, a few days before the May elections. We were really busy. We were, we'd been at it all day on Zoom calls. Uh, we were doing members' calls from that very office. We stopped because food arrived, the, um, the, and then the we carried on. There were rules in place, and the guidance, the workplace guidance, that was in place at the time. Participants should physically attend meetings only where reasonably necessary. There should not be any sharing of food and drink by staff who do not share a household. Well, Sophie, Trying to persuade anybody that stopping to have some food when you're in the office all day working um, is a breach of the rules is just not going to wash. And it shows just how far the Conservatives are sinking, that they're trying to pretend there's some sort of comparison between this and the industrial-scale parting that the Prime Minister's been but up to. But that photograph of the Prime Minister on the terrace at Downing Street, Dominic Cummings is there, the cheese and wine photograph. Why is that any different? That is an office... We, did, we can't hear what they were saying. They say it was a meeting. You say that was a meeting. Why is that any different? Well, people will look at the photos and make their own minds up. The Conservative Party chairman, Oliver Dowden, was faced with the unenviable task of defending the Prime Minister against the onslaught of anger that has been felt in the wake of the Partygate revelations. Trevor Phillips asked Dowden if the party was finally over for Boris Johnson. When do you plan to tell Boris Johnson that... If the Conservative Party is to lead us through these challenges, he can no longer be Prime Minister. You can't afford him anymore. Well, I don't agree with that analysis. I think Boris Johnson should, of course, remain as our Prime Minister. And I'll tell you why. It's precisely for the conversation we were just having now. It was the Prime Minister that made that call about having the mass booster programme, which has ensured we're getting through the worst Omicron. At the same time, he made the call, despite the huge pressure, and you may have remembered this, I recall it, around having a further lockdown in the face of that Omicron variant. He made the right call and has meant that we've managed to have the most open economy in Europe and the most vaxxed economy in Europe. The two are linked together. And I think when it comes to those big calls, he's made the right call. Now, of course, I don't diminish for a second that the kind of events that we've seen were totally wrong. I was angered by them. My constituents were angered by them. The whole country was angered by them. And it's absolutely right, the Prime Minister said, we'll get to the bottom of them. And I'll tell you that when he responds to the House of Commons, as he's committed to doing so, he will make sure that we address the kind of culture that has allowed that to happen in the first place. What could he possibly say about what we already know has taken place that would change opinions about that culture you yourself mentioned, Downing Street... Uh, and in Whitehall. I mean, what could he possibly say? Well, of course, it's important that we first get to the facts of everything that happened. Now, the Prime Minister has already apologised in respect of one event that, that happened. We need to get 
all the facts. That's what Sue Gray is doing through her report. We need to look at how that stacks up against the rules at the time. And the Prime Minister needs to respond to that. Now, you wouldn't expect me to get into the detail of that response. But what I can tell you from the many conversations I've had with the Prime Minister and what you saw from him in the House on Wednesday is that he is committed to upping our game. We must improve the culture. We yep. must do better. I hear people's anger. I know it. And we've got to respond. Phillips also asked about the future of the government's Plan B restrictions put in place in December to control the spread of the Omicron variant. Is Omicron in retreat? Well, we've seen some very promising data, whether that's in relation to infections or hospitalisations. And that, of course, hasn't happened by accident. It's happened because so many people have taken that booster vaccine. And thanks to the drive we gave it before Christmas, we've now got over 60% of the total population covered with the booster vaccine and actually over 90% of over 50. So that gives us pause for hope and optimism that we may be emerging from the worst of Omicron. So it is, it is good news, but it's thanks to all that hard work that has happened. Should we then expect the lifting of the restrictions when the review comes in 10 days' time? Well, it's always been my hope that we would have the Plan B restrictions for the shortest period possible. I'm under no doubt the kind of burdens this puts hospitality, wider business schools and so on under. And I want us to, to get rid of those if we possibly can. The signs are encouraging, but clearly we'll wait to see the data ahead of that final decision. But the likelihood is that that is what will happen. Those restrictions will be lifted unless we see something surprising in the data. Well, it all seems to be heading in the right direction, particularly crucially in relation to hospitalisations, which seem to be plateauing. You've seen those very good headline numbers. It's heading in the right direction now. I'm very hopeful and optimistic, but clearly we'll await the data at the point of the decision before making that final decision. Parliament was rocked this week when MI5 took the extraordinary step of publicly outing a Chinese spy with close links to several serving politicians. The former Conservative leader Ian Duncan Smith warned of the need to be vigilant. The reality for us is that uh, I think successive governments have been completely asleep at the wheel over this issue. Um, uh, completely asleep at the wheel. Um, and uh, the reality, therefore, is that we need to figure out where we are with China, uh, whether we have a relationship or whether they are seen as a threat. If you look back at the foreign and defence report, uh, you will see that they categorise Russia as a threat, but China as a competitor. And uh, it does then lead you to wonder why that was the case. And the answer is, I think, that uh, China over the years uh, has so dominated us in a way that we are now completely dependent on them for a whole series of items and articles. Uh, they've got themselves into the position of being able to invest into our nuclear industry. Uh, most of the uh, solar arrays, the elements on them, are produced by slave labour from Xinjiang. Uh, the insides of most of the uh, wind turbines that we have are all made in China. We've become utterly dependent. And Far too many officials and ex-ministers have then left and retired and gone and taken uh, money from China. So uh, the very fact that they are in trying to persuade and infiltrate and, and subvert people within our political system is nothing new at all. But the worst bit about it is that the government, too many governments, seem too cautious about calling it out. This is a brutal, dictatorial, ghastly regime, and we seem to want to... I think, uh, kowtow to them too often, and that's dangerous, and you've seen the results of that. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, I can promise you. And finally, Kurt Volker, who until recently served as the United States Special Representative to Ukraine, had another stark warning over the threat faced from Vladimir Putin. 
Let's get to the sharp end of this. You've spent a lot of time in talks with Russians. You've been uh, involved uh, in the politics of the Ukraine for many years. Do you think, in reality, that it is a real possibility that he could invade? Yes, yes. I would say that in my way of looking at it, it is more likely than not. Uh, his rhetoric has escalated to a point that will make it very hard not to follow through. Uh, it is clear that the West cannot give him the, the guarantees and demands that he is seeking. And I think that he actually will want to make some kind of invasion, some kind of territorial acquisition, but he'll want to do it swiftly. He'll want to stop uh, within a short period of time and then try to connect these territories of Crimea and Donbass and maybe other parts of Ukraine and make them part of what is a sphere of influence for Russia by action, since he's not going to get that by words from NATO or the US. Well, that's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to my daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.